So um, there's a guy called Douglas Webster. Douglas Webster, he, uh, he works in a theological college. He, he equips kind of uh, uh, pastors or would-be pastors uh, um, in the States. And um, he, he asked a question. He, he asked a large number of churches there what they were looking for in a good leader. And, and he, he kind of collected in the responses and sort of compiled them together and came up with a kind of composite paragraph to, to, to talk about this. This is what churches apparently wanted from a leader. What they wanted was someone who was, uh, they wanted winsome, charismatic, executive-like pastors who exude warmth and success. Uh, known more for their humor than their spirituality, today's market-sensitive pastors are relationally savvy. Instead of eliciting deep feelings of guilt, as the old revivalists did, these pastors lift the spirit, promote optimism, and make people feel good about themselves. Um, There you go. I I don't know whether that reveals more about the image of spiritual leadership that American Christians have rather than British ones. Of course, it might do that. Um, But I'm not sure it's actually that far different uh, uh, over here either. Um, and, And of course, you might have picked up that sort of echoes what the Western world seems to value in its leaders, don't you think? Um, you know, th- think, about, think about political leaders, for example, where the talk, it is again at the moment, um, uh, often focuses on, on style rather than substance, doesn't it? it? It focuses on charisma rather than character, until, of course, as, as we're experiencing at the moment, the person you've elected because of their charisma and despite their character ends up disappointing us. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, the, of that around at the moment, isn't there? We, we, we picked them for their charisma and not their character, but then we find that they don't deliver on their promises or they get caught up in some scandal or whatever it might be, and we find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves cynical, maybe, about leaders. Who can you trust? Why did they behave like that? But there seems to me to be a kind of inevitability about it. Don't, don't, don't you think when we choose for ourselves leaders that fit the image we have of what we think they should be like, style rather than substance, charisma rather than character, is it not inevitable that they're going to disappoint us when it comes to issues of character or, or, or issues of substance? And yet, that's the people we go for all too often. And of course, when we apply that image, because it's not just a political thing, is it? When we apply that image to leaders of our, to, to our spiritual leaders, well, then we can risk some significant problems, can't we? Which is, of course, why the standards of leadership that, that for instance, Paul has in mind when he writes the, the pastoral epistles, when he writes to Timothy, kind of stress character over charisma, don't they? Personal godliness over public giftedness. But I don't think the situation was, was much different in first century Israel here in, in Jesus' day. So, so poor leadership, uh, corrupt, self-serving leadership, it's not a new problem. And it's not even just in, in political uh, areas. It's, it's in all periods of history. It's in every culture of the church. It was the same in Jesus' time. Israel, too, had a dearth of good leaders, people they could actually trust. And they also had their own image of leadership. In fact, it was, it was a better image, really, than, than the one we currently seem to have. It was an image drawn from the Old Testament scriptures, and it was the image of a shepherd. Um, see, a, a shepherd was meant to, uh, to care for the sheep on behalf of the owner. Um, he, he was meant to feed them and, and, and nourish them. He was meant to protect them, even to the point of putting his life on the line for them. And uh, that image of the shepherd and the sheep 
was the image that the Old Testament used to talk about um, uh, how the spiritual leaders of Israel, the shepherds, should care for the people, the, the sheep. Um, so it was a great image of leadership. However, the age-old problem showed itself again, time and time again, um, and, and we see this in the Old Testament, how, how Israel's leaders failed to be the shepherds that they should be. They were corrupt. They were self-serving. They, they caused the sheep to suffer under their leadership rather than to flourish under it. And, and there's one key chapter in the Old Testament that describes this, and it's Ezekiel 34. It comes up all over the place, but Ezekiel 34 is a key one. Maybe you'd turn to that, in fact, because um, that, that provides the, uh, the, 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 the background to what Jesus is saying. So if you can keep one finger in John 10 and then use the other nine to kind of try and find Ezekiel 34. Maybe somebody, when they find it, could give me a shout-out page number for it. That would be helpful. Um, 722, so um, uh, Old Testament, 722. Um, because 500 years before Jesus' time, God had spoken through the prophet Ezekiel about the poor leadership of uh, Israel. So uh, here we are. Have a look at... Um, Uh, Ezekiel 34, here's verses 1 to 4. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who, who uh, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So these are, these are shepherds who are not feeding the sheep, are they? They're kind of fleecing the sheep. They're corrupt, they're self-serving, they're abusing their position for their own gain. And and so what is God going to do about that? Well, Ezekiel points the people forward in that chapter to a time when God is going to judge the bad shepherds and he's going to rescue the people from their clutches and he's going to become their shepherd himself. Um, uh, Let me read you a few um, extracts from that chapter, just kind of give you the flavor. First of all, he's going to judge the bad shepherds and rescue the sheep from them. So have a look at uh, verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Do you see? He's going to judge the bad shepherds and rescue the sheep from them. Uh, And then look, uh, God himself will be their shepherd. Verse 11, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. Uh, Or end of verse 12, I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. Uh, Or verse 14, I will feed them I will feed them with good pasture. Or verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Or verse 16, I will seek the lost and bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And so on. You get the picture. 
So, so what is God going to do? Well, there's a time coming, he says, when he's going to judge the bad shepherds of his people and, and rescue them, and then God himself is going to be their shepherd. And, and how is he going to do that? Have a look at verse 23 of that chapter. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now, remember, this is written after David's time. So I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So God is going to do all of this, in other words, by, by appointing his, his shepherd David over his people. In other words, he's, he's going uh, to appoint a new shepherd of his people, who's going to be like a new King David, because this is written after the time of the, the original David. So he's going to be like a new King David, says Ezekiel. So it's, it's kind of, it's all a bit mysterious, isn't it, at, at, this, at this stage of the, the game here in Ezekiel 34? Because on the one hand, God himself is going to be their shepherd, and, and yet on the other hand, um, God's shepherd king, this, this new David, is going to be their shepherd. So, so, so which is it? You know, how, how's that going to work? Well, we see how it's going to work in, in John chapter 10 as Jesus, the son of God and the son of David, born from David's line, says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life. Or his sheep. So, so how can God himself be the shepherd whilst at the same time this new David is going to be the shepherd? Well, it's because Jesus is both of those people and so the fulfillment of what Ezekiel was pointing to. So why don't you turn back? We're done with Ezekiel 34 for now. So you can turn back if you've still got your finger in there. Turn back to, to, to John chapter 10. And, and let's have a look at these verses in, in the light of that context and see how Jesus is the true shepherd of God's people and so the one whom, in whom we must trust. And, and what we've got here in, in chapter 10 is a, uh, it's a continuation of Jesus' discussions in the temple that we, we looked at last week. If you, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Jesus um, healed a man who was born blind, uh, beginning of chapter 9, um, but, but we saw how there was much more to it than that, because what Jesus had done to the man physically, he intended to be an illustration of what he's come to do spiritually in people's hearts. Do you remember kind of the summary was in chapter 9, verse 39, where Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see, those who think they see, may become blind. Remember that? In other words, he came to give sight to those who know they are blind without him. As, as, as they see Jesus for who he is, as they come to him in, for forgiveness, like, like the man born blind did. But to those who refuse to acknowledge him and, and think they've got spiritual sight without needing Jesus, well, they are left in, in their growing blindness. And of course, we saw that that was the position of the, the Pharisees, wasn't it? The Jewish religious leaders. They opposed Jesus and, and so were blind to who he was. So as we now come into chapter 10, the conversation is continuing. But Jesus kind of introduces uh, this different metaphor. And, and again, he's drawing from the Old Testament to, to show that the religious leaders who are rejecting Jesus are behaving like the, uh, like the bad shepherds 
of Ezekiel 34, and that he, Jesus, is the good shepherd, the the son of God and the son of David, who has come as the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy and and the true shepherd of God's people. That's what's going on here. So let's let's have a look at that. Firstly, have a look at the parable itself in in verses 1 to 6. And and as we went through that, you can probably see there's there's basically four characters in the parable, isn't there? There's this thief or, or robber. Look, in verse 1, um, who Jesus also calls a stranger, in verse 5. Um, then, then you've got the shepherd, look, in verse 2. You've got the gatekeeper, in verses 3 and 4. And then lastly, of course, kind of verses 3 to 5, you've got the, you've got the sheep. Um, now, I'm sure that all of you are, are experts in, in first century Middle Eastern sheep farming techniques. Um, I'm sure that's true. Um, but, but just in case you're not... Um, it, it was quite common in, in Jesus' day for, for several kind of sheep farming families to share, as it were, a, a large sheep pen. So it was often in the, in the village. And, and then they'd employ a, a, a junior shepherd as a gatekeeper overnight. So he'd sleep at the entrance of the, the, the sheep pen. He'd stop the sheep from, from wandering off. and He'd protect the sheep against any, any predators that were around. And, and then in the morning, the shepherds would arrive and they'd call out their own sheep. Indeed, this shepherd does so by name. And, and, then, and then he'd lead them. He'd, he'd lead them not, not kind of from behind on a quad bike, you know, with dogs like they kind of do today, um, but, but, but from the front. He'd lead them from the front and take them out into the good pasture of the hills for the, for the day. So that's the kind of image that Jesus is drawing on. And it's a picture where the sheep and the shepherd have got this, this bond, if you like, whereby the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they know it and they trust it. And so they follow him. Indeed, he can come right up to the door of the pen and call out his sheep and they'll come to him. They'll, they'll let him lead them. Whereas somebody who isn't the true shepherd but a stranger, you know, and a thief or a robber, someone come to do harm to the sheep, would not be able to do that. The gatekeeper would never let them in. He'd have to climb in via another way because he's not the shepherd. So that's kind of the scene that Jesus is describing. And in a largely sort of farming-based society, Jesus' leaders would recognize that kind of scene very well. It was a common scene of the day. But of course, this is a parable, uh, isn't it? In other words, it's, a, it's an everyday story to illustrate a spiritual truth. Verse 6 calls it a, a figure of speech. Um, and Jesus is not just drawing on sort of local agricultural scenes, but he's drawing on Ezekiel 34 as well. So he's using this parable to talk about himself and the once blind man of chapter 9, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that he's engaged with. So remember, the once blind man that Jesus has just healed and led to believe in him, he's an example of a sheep who has heard the voice of his shepherd and followed him. Lord, I believe. Do you remember him saying, chapter 9, verse 38? Which makes Jesus, of course, the shepherd in the story, the true shepherd, (laughs) And it makes the Pharisees, the religious leaders, what does it make them? The stranger or the thief. In other words, the false shepherd that the sheep need to run from. Well, Pharisees, even with them being steeped in the passages like Ezekiel 34, they they haven't cottoned on to what Jesus is saying. It's just another sign of their spiritual blindness. 
And so Jesus explains to them what he's just said. So here's the explanation um, in verses 7 to 18. And, And notice, first of all, the way that Jesus contrasts himself as the good shepherd with the Pharisees, the false shepherds. Have a look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. Sorry, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So so notice here that, that as well as being the shepherd... Jesus is the door into the sheep pen as well. I'm the door of the sheep, verse 7. I'm the door, verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So that the picture there is of Jesus' provision for his sheep, isn't it? So so, uh, firstly, he provides the way of salvation for them. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So, So he's the door through whom his sheep must come to find the protection and the safety of the sheep pen. Uh, He's going to go on in chapter 14, isn't he, to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. But secondly, notice that it's also a picture of Jesus providing nourishment for his people. He will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 9, do you see? Jesus is the doorway to salvation and the doorway to good pasture. His sheep are are secure and they're well fed and they're contented because he looks after, uh, because he's the one who loves and saves and and looks after and feeds and nourishes and and nurtures his sheep. And and so he can say at the end of verse 10, he's come so that his sheep can have life and have it abundantly. Which, if you've been with us through this series, you'll, you'll know is not Jesus promising us kind of health and wealth in the here and now, but promising to bring us to the life that he's made us for, an an eternal life with him as our loving ruler, life that we have forfeited because of our rebellion, but a life that Jesus has come to give us back by rescuing us, by, by, by paying the penalty for our rebellion against God with his life instead of ours on the cross. That's what the good shepherd does for his sheep, isn't it? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus is like as the good shepherd, the true shepherd. But contrast that with the picture of the false shepherds, the the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34. And of course, the religious leaders stood here in front of him. What are they like? Well, they are like thieves and robbers, verse 8. They they can't save the people. Their, Their laws and their rules, they don't actually save anyone, do they? And actually, their only interest, verse 10, is to steal and kill and destroy the sheep. You know, the way the, the Pharisees acted towards the blind man threw him out of the temple. It's a good example of that, isn't it? You, you'll see in verse 11 that Jesus switches away from his, his door or his gate metaphor back to his shepherd metaphor. But the contrast still continues, doesn't it? Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, verse 11, but the false shepherd is more like a hired hand than a real shepherd. In other words, the sheep are not his, 
And hence, when the sheep are in danger, verse 12, he just leaves them. He does a runner, showing, verse 13, that he really doesn't care about them. And, and the point is clear enough, isn't it? Jesus is the one who really cares about his sheep, who is deeply committed to his sheep, who won't abandon his sheep, but will go to the cross for his sheep, lay down his life for the sheep. Whereas these Pharisees, like the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34, well, they're not interested in the sheep, they're interested in themselves, and protecting their own interests and their, their status. Friends, I wonder if I can ask you then, who you are listening to and trusting in regarding your eternity. Because it's, it, it's, quite, it's quite a common belief, certainly in the Western world it is, um, that basically all faiths, all belief systems, they're pretty much the same. So, such that what's really important is not so much who or what you believe in, but that you sincerely believe in something or, or someone. But Jesus here just knocks that idea on the head, doesn't he? What he shows us clearly here is that who you trust for your future matters enormously. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is the one who is committed to saving his sheep. He is the one who has in fact laid down his life in order to do that, thus thus demonstrating his commitment to his people. And, 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 and that having done that, he is therefore the one to give us life in him, eternal life, life as God intended it to be, abundant life, as, as we're restored to the God who, who made us, as we're placed under his loving rule. Friends, if you want life in all its eternal fullness, then Jesus is the door through which you must come. He's the true shepherd who is totally committed to your rescue and your life in him. And friends, you can scan the world religions and the different belief systems out there. There's loads of them to choose from. You'll find a load of religious leaders over the centuries who have built up belief systems to fleece the sheep that they don't care about. Such people existed in Jesus' day, as we see here, and and they've been in every age since. So so you can examine the spiritual leaders of every world religion, but you'll find no one except Jesus who offers you rescue. No one but Jesus who laid down his life for you to rescue you from the consequences of living for yourself instead of living for him. Friends, who you listen to and trust in for your future does matter. So who are you trusting in? And does he offer you rescue from your sin? Has he laid down his life for you? Does he promise you eternal security and protection and contentment and life in all its fullness? Because, friends, Jesus does. And only he does. For he is the true shepherd. The shepherd king that God promised he would send to save us and bring us life. Life in in, in him. He, He makes the point again in verse 14, look, doesn't he? I am the good shepherd. See, he is the new David, the the, the shepherd king that God promised through the prophet Ezekiel. And he knows his sheep and they know him just as intimately, verse 15, as he and the father know each other. And it's these people, these sheep, that he's come to lay down his life for. I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And the sheep are not just Jews, people in this fold, this sheep pen, verse 16, because he has other sheep who are not of this fold. In other words, non-Jews, people like you and me. Because to be one of Jesus' flock is not about having a particular ethnic background. It's about responding by faith to Jesus and his gospel word. His sheep, verse 16, are those who abandon all those pretend shepherds. And there are other ways of getting right with God. And instead, verse 16, listen to the voice of the true shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And not only lay down his life, but did so willingly. Did you spot that? Look in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Isn't that incredible? What an amazing shepherd Jesus is. That he should go to such astonishing lengths to rescue such, such foolish, self-centered, rebellious sheep as, as us. People who've been created to live under the loving rule of God, but have, have chosen instead to reject him and live for ourselves instead. And when all we deserve for doing that to, to, to God, for living in God's world as though he wasn't there, is, is his punishment, what we find is that the shepherd king whom God sent willingly put himself on a cross and took the punishment for us. So that all anyone has to do is is turn their backs on the bad shepherds, come into God's flock through Jesus and the rescue of the cross, and have the life for which we were made. Isn't it incredible that he's done that? Well, we've seen the background and and the parable and the explanation. We've seen that Jesus' claim is that he is the good shepherd. He's the promised saviour, shepherd, king of, of, of God. He's the new David. He's the one who will judge the bad shepherds and rescue his people and be their true shepherd. But just as we close, look at the response in verses 19 to 21. And, and not for the first time in, in John, we see a divided response, don't we? Did you notice that? Uh, verse 19, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them says he has a demon, he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, so some, are, you know, that, that reckon, verse 20, that, you know, all, the, all of these claims that Jesus makes to be the, the promised true shepherd prove he's some kind of demon-possessed lunatic. <laughs> While others look at the evidence of his teaching, his, his words, verse 21, but, but, but also the evidence of his healing of the blind man and say, no, he's, he's got to be more than that. We can see what's going on, can't we? Once again, you've got the spiritually blind who will simply not follow the evidence but are determined to reject Jesus. And you've got the others who see where the evidence leads, just can't deny it. But friends, the issue here is not really what these people make of Jesus, but what we make of him. That's the issue, isn't it? See, right through history, there have been spiritual leaders who have claimed our allegiance. They they come and they go. But Jesus says, no, all others are pretenders. All others are false shepherds. They're like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They, They might come in religious costume, but they're thieves and robbers come to fleece the sheep. Only Jesus 
is the true shepherd of God. He is the one who laid down his life for the sheep to rescue us and bring us to safety and security and life. And so he is the only door through which we can come to God. So friends, this morning, can I ask you, how will you respond to him? My my prayer is that um, each of us would respond as the psalmist responds. You know that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare the the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My, My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you. Um, Thank you for showing us that Jesus is the true shepherd. He's he's the true leader that we need. He's, He's the only one who can rescue us from our sin because he's the one who laid down his life for the sheep. So, Father, we thank you that in him is life in all its fullness. And, and so please, would you help each of us this morning to, to abandon trust in any pretender and trust in him and him alone as the only way to life with you. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.